Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello. You have reached Witches, Whiskey, and Wit. I'm Jason. I'm your host. I'm your host every time because no one else is dumb enough to give me a night off and to also host the show. So thanks for being here. It's always great to be here. I hope you're doing well. It's September. It's finally September. I know for a lot of witches, they're like, hey, we're starting Samhain and we're starting it on September 1st. I'm not sure if I agree wholeheartedly, but I get it. This has been a shitty year. And, you know, every time we get to a new month, we get that much closer to this year being done with. And I think we all want this year badly to be done with. Maybe you're having a great year. Maybe you're a hermit who doesn't like people. I get that. Maybe this is great for you. Maybe you enjoy wearing masks. Maybe you don't like hugging people. And there are a lot of people that Jason doesn't like to hug. So I get that too. However, you know, for a lot of us, this has been pretty hard. So every time we get to a new month, I'm like, here, cheers. Let's celebrate. Let's have another glass of whiskey. Not that I need much encouragement at all during COVID-19. So anyways, happy September to you all. Thanks for being here. We've got shows scheduled for most of the month. I'm on top of things. Thank you all for listening. It really means a lot to me when I see, hey, you know, 100 people, 200,000 people, whatever the fuck it is, have listened to the show. It's very, it's very, very nice. It's very, very gratifying. So tonight, I think I'm popping my guest podcast virginity which sounds so dirty and and you know dirty hey baby so i'm really excited about it i've known deborah d'angelo for like i don't know how long have i known deborah probably for over 10 years i'm pretty sure i knew deborah long before i moved to california because we were both pantheacon people and if you don't know what Pantheacon was, or yeah, it was because it's gone. It was this big hotel convention in California, in San Jose, California, that took place in every February. If you saw people complaining online about a pagan festival in February, they were talking about Pantheacon. However, there was always one place that was sort of the eye of the storm the calm within the Pantheacon, and that place was called the Absinthe Party, which is where I met Deborah. Hi, Deborah. I can hear you there in the background. Welcome to Witches, Whiskey, and Wit. Hey there. Um, I'm having so much fun listening to you. I feel like I should just go on and let you keep going. <laughs> no, no. I have guests, so I don't have to do shit. I ask questions, and then I lean back, and I drink the whiskey and stuff. That that's what works for me. I think some people are always like, I'm so sorry, I talked, and I'm like, that's why I have guests, so I don't have to do this for an hour. You know, I can only talk off the cuff, amusingly for so long, and then everyone finds out that I'm really not as clever as some people think I might be. But I knew you before I moved to California. I think. Am I correct so in that? True. When yeah. I met you, I didn't exactly meet you. It was my very first Pantheon. Um, and you were just this rock star guy doing, you know, pagan Led Zeppelin workshops 
And uh, I think when I was first actually like in your presence, uh, it was for a Morrison ritual. And by the way, I'm, yeah. I am Honey B. Morrison. Honey okay, B. Morrison, yes. Honey Morrison. And um, that's got to be like 2005, six, seven, somewhere in there. But, um, you know, our paths kind of wound in and out together. I mean, we, we a long while back, um, I, I kind of backed you up starting the California Pagans. Facebook page and we did that for a while and then um, we got involved with um, the Green Fairy parties, the absence parties. Um, I think that's when I really first got to know you because we were looking for volunteers and you and your pretty hair cousin jumped right in there and were the gods of the light strings and um, as we know setting setting the mood was half the party and um, you guys really you were really there for us and a, an important piece of that. And yes, the parties were like the one chill place. Like everybody was kind of in the same vibe and everyone's feeling good. And it was for me, the best place to be in the whole con. So, and of course I've been to lots of your, your workshops and did a story about you. So we have, you know, various connections. Yeah. Well, I also wrote for your then website, Opinion, for a while. And to me, that was one of the most gratifying things. Because you, like, unlike me, you're a real writer. You've, you edited a newspaper for quite a while. You do real journalism. You're a real writer, not just like a hack like I am. And, And you said, Jason, I think you're brilliant. And, you know, I love hearing those kind of things. When you said, Jason, I think you're brilliant. Would you write for me at this thing? And that was one of, like, the most, like, flattering moments of my life. I was like, whoa. I called Ari right after that. Well, it's true. I mean, part of what I did for my opinion was I have, I will admit to having this peculiar ability to spot talent, even if it's really raw. Now, in your case, it wasn't raw. Um, what I spotted in your writing is that your voice comes through your writing. When I read your work, I know you. I know who I'm talking to. That's not something you can teach a person. I can teach people all about sentence construction and syntax and white space, but I can't teach them voice. And you are a natural voice. And I appreciate that when I read your work, I hear your voice. And when you do your workshops, it's the same thing. One thing I've always appreciated about you is you're so genuine. You're just always 100% Jason. And um, I have a, a big value in that. So probably one of the reasons why we connected, because I don't have a lot of uh, bandwidth for people that are too wrapped up in their own ego bullshit. So um, you're just kind of a bright light in the community as far as I'm concerned. Always welcoming um, always entertaining, and most of all, always super informed. I am amazed by the breadth of knowledge inside of your fluffy head. I have to say, you are my my favorite guest. You're now my favorite guest that I've ever had. I can just <laughs> sit back and just, you know, be a wash in the adulation for a while. You know, awesome. not used not used to that at this point in my life. It's you know more like Jason is the Antichrist and. What an asshole. 
them. The, it always feels like your yeah. critics are always louder than the people to you. It's kind of something that has beset the community. Now, I don't know. Is it because it's changing or is it because when I walked into the pagan world, I was just all starry-eyed wonder and everything's wonderful. But, you know, imagine my surprise when years passed by and I went, whoa, pagans are assholes too? For real? You know, big enlightenment. But um, I remember you know, getting some grief about something a while back. I forget what it was. But I was talking with Ann Niven about it. We were meeting and she, of course. Ann Niven. Yeah, and Niven is the editor-publisher of Witches and Pagans and Sage Woman magazine. Right. So we were chatting about some, I forget, this was like maybe three years ago or so, and you you were getting a bunch of grief for something. And I said, I don't really understand why the need in our community to just everybody turn like piranhas and dive on somebody. And Anne said, I'll try and get her words right, but she said, it's the tallest daisy syndrome. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, if you have a field of daisies and one daisy sticks up higher than the others, all the other daisies want to cut it down. So that's the thing, Jason. You know, sometimes you're just the tallest daisy, and I think people should just deal with it. I'm a pretty, pretty flower, apparently. I can deal with that. I've, Ari and I have given this a lot of thought over the years, and there's a couple of different reasons why it is that way. I think part of paganism is to find paganism, especially back before 2010, you had to be pretty inquisitive. You had to really get out there and you had to really search and you had to look for it. So it really kind of attracted independent thinkers and it attracted a lot of big fish or people who thought that they should be big fish. And the problem with the pagan pond is it's very small. So it doesn't have room for a lot of big fish. And I think there was a lot of jealousy amongst people. If, you know, you write a book or you're important in your community, there's kind of a backlash because I think that there are people who think, well, that should be me. And I don't, I don't get it because there's room for everything. You know, once became an author, like every, all the other authors were super nice. There's no competition. There's, they're my peers. Devin Hunter and I don't fight about who's going to sell the most books. We don't care. You know, it, it's really, really strange to me. And then also I think that there is a tendency for people to attack things they think that they might be able to control. So attacking things in the smaller community gives people a sense of control that they don't have sort of in bigger senses. Like, you know, it's hard to take down Donald Trump, right? Yeah. And, yeah, it, it's easier to try to take down a, a fellow pagan whatever reason. I mean, I don't know if I'm right, but it's just kind of how I felt. And I think the last four years especially have just felt, I don't want to say they're completely, you know, hopeless or anything, but it's a weight. It's always there. And when you're on vacation or you're trying to get away from it, you know that it's there, right? Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, there's been a pall over the country since January of 2017. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's another thing we bonded over. We were both Hillary Clinton people. And I love I, Hillary. Yeah. And Hillary. I remember, yeah, deal with it. I, I just remember in 2016 how it almost felt like if you were supporting Hillary in a lot of the pagan community, you were the enemy. I think I lost more friends 
on the liberal side of things than I did on the conservative side of things, at least during the primary, because it, it just felt like Hillary was unacceptable to a lot of people. Well, it is. It, it's, it's more of that tallest daisy thing again. I don't know what the compulsion is to drag down and tear down, and you can feel the bitterness and jealousy, and I think social media has only made it worse, because if you can attack somebody in public, and then you get 35 likes for that, then that must mean you're right, right? Because the amount of accuracy and validity is always me- is always measured by Facebook likes. I mean, you know, that's what makes anything matter. But it seems that since that time, this propensity to just dive on people and rip them to shreds, um, it's kind of out of control on social media. And <clears throat> The Hillary thing, I honestly just don't get why people have this issue about Hillary, you know, so, and they can't let it be, you know, it's like, no, if, if you aren't with me, you're against me. We've, we've gone down to really simplistic tribal, and I mean tribal in the, the old school paleolithic way, a tribal way of thinking, you're either in my tribe or you're not. And if you're, if you're wearing the wolf skin and I'm in the bear skin, I'm going to bash you with the club. So it's just kind of um, disappointing that humanity seems to be slowly toddling backwards. It feels strange to me that people who agree on 98% of almost everything, right? There seems to you still have to have a fight because somebody disagrees with the two with the two percent, like you know, you're not for single payer tomorrow, so you're a bad person. All of a sudden, it's like we're all trying to get to the same end goals. I believe we're just maybe taking different routes or have different ways of trying to get there. But you know, we're going to attack people over these over like really what are small issues. And I'm not talking like you know when when that asshole puts up Blue Lives Matter or something. You know, to yeah. be a dick. I'm not talking about that, and I'm not talking about people who are turfs and transphobic. I mean, there are, to me, there are pretty clear lines in the sand. But there are a lot of people that I think that I agree with almost all the way. But because there might be like this teeny little difference, it's a huge issue, and I just don't understand it. I mean, there are big issues out there, and it feels like we kind of fight over minutia. It's true, and and social media is the worst for that. It, it, things take on a life of their own where if you were having, say we were having these conversations sitting on a big old king size bed in the absence room at the green fairy party, these interactions wouldn't happen. You wouldn't say and do the things you are, you feel empowered to do on social media with that computer screen protecting you, you know, and with lots of people cheering you on the behavior and the language gets worse and worse and worse. And I've been guilty of it. I can't sit here and say, oh, no, I've, I've never started a cesspool swirling on Facebook because I have. But um, <laughs> I, I just don't understand it in our community in particular because, you know, like you said, it was a hard community to find. I was looking for it for years before I figured out what it was and where it was and what its name even was. But my memory of those days was that, you know, if you were handicapped, if you were, you, you were accepted. If you were elderly, oh, 
you're an elder, you're respected. And if you're gay, okay, you're transgender, okay. You're this tradition, you're that tradition. It seemed like, you know, that old concept, it's a big pagan tent. But now the big pagan tent has lots of rooms. You know, you can't come in our room. And that room over there is no good. But I something about Facebook, though, emboldens people to just, their, their inner assholes to just bloom for all the world to see. It's, well, I think part of it is there's those brain centers that like it when somebody likes, you right. know, their post, right? So, like, if right. I can start something and say something nasty about peop- about a person, and then, you know, 80 of my friends like it, I feel really good. And what did you accomplish? You just made a schism in your community and probably made some people like you more and some people like you less, and you actually accomplished nothing. Well, this is what Facebook has reduced us to. Everything's all about how liked are we. It doesn't matter if we're right or if we're talented or compassionate. It only matters how much are we liked, you know. And I I see on Twitter all the time, oh, I just need five more likes and I'll have – or five more follows and I'll have 4,000 follows. And I see this pathetic pleading, follow me and I'll follow you back. And I just wonder what is all this – clamoring for attention of random strangers about like what is lacking in our spirit that we need that much attention and that much validation from something that you know exists on our cell phone I mean it's not even really real so yeah you know you you were talking about the rooms in the pagan tent and this is a conversation I've been having for like the last five or six years and I remember my early pagan days in the 90s. Everybody used the word pagan first to describe themselves. And if you were hanging out with pagans, it meant you were hanging out with druids and witches. Yeah. And, and, you know, and maybe a few people who were doing even other things. It just, they didn't fit in anywhere else. So they became a part of the pagan community. But I think one of the things social media has done is it's let people find others who identify as they identify and mostly do the same kind of things. So it's given us these places where we can be with people who do what we do almost exactly like we do it. And I think that we're losing something by doing that. I think that my practice is deeper and richer when I can be with other pagan folks who maybe do things different than I am. And, I mean, it's great. Like, I'm a witch. I want to be with witches and shit. I get that. But, I know, but I also like hanging out with druids every once in a while or even going to an OTO thing and having those conversations. And when the only people that you're talking to are other witches or other druids, then you don't have those conversations anymore. Well, right. We all kind of exist in our own echo chambers anymore. And we align with people that agree with us and kick out the ones that don't instead of, you know, being in that physical room where, okay, we might have conversations about things we disagree about, but just because we disagree, we don't just then set out to crash and burn that other person's reputation. You might flip them off and walk away, but I mean, it's just because there's a certain tone of viciousness to everything that I'm really not a fan of, you know? So and, yeah, I like exposure to everything. I like, you know, the old school Pantheon when I could walk in and learn about things. And, oh, if I go to that ritual, I'm going to offend those people. And if I go in here, it means that. And 
well, you're not one of me. I can't talk to you. So it's it's just kind of disappointing, I think. I, I, I'm hoping somehow that turns around, but I, I don't see how that happens. I mean, I think one thing that's really nice, for example, your work at, at Patheos Pagan, at least where I can I can get see blogs and see things I might have I might not have found if I was searching you know if I went searching for I want a protection ritual I would have found only that but I go on to Patheos Pagan and it's like well I didn't think about that before that's kind of cool you know so so you are um, keeping a little bit of that spirit alive by having that sort of um, comprehensive coverage of a, a variety of different things with a variety of different voices. I, I think Patheos just seems a little more civil than other things. I don't really think so anymore, but really? people don't comment on the blogs anymore. So they comment on social media. So you go to the Facebook page and then you, then you see the criticisms and the anger. Oh. Of, yeah. That, to me, the Facebook page is often kind of a cesspool of terrible opinions and it's always really strange to me to read some of them. You know, I, I've always known that the pagan community is not as liberal as most of its authors and writers and even, you know, social media people. You know, that there are conservative pagans, there are Trump pagans, and but you How don't see them. Work? But you don't see them. And then yeah. you go to that Facebook page and then you see them. You know, these are the people... Uh, who don't love our trans brothers and sisters. These are the people that if anyone says, hey, maybe you should do a ritual that's a little more inclusive, you're trying to change my Wicca. I mean, it's, you know, it's that kind of very reactionary sort of thing. And that's where you see it. And it kind of always breaks my heart when I see it. (laughs) I am a... Right? Just big ego investment. This what? is the way I do it, and that's yeah. the way. You know, if you do it a different way, you must be yeah. wrong. So, to me, the the scariest thing in pagan and witchcraft practices are absolutes. You know, you have to do this. You must do that. This is the only way to do it. Because I just don't think those things are true. I think there are dozens of ways to do things, and. If it doesn't yeah. resonate with you, then you shouldn't do it. And I remember you did a workshop, and I want to say it was the Drawing Down the Moon workshop. And I believe you kind of traipsed into that topic that, you know, you don't have to do it exactly this way in these words, that there's other ways to do it. And it was such a relief to me because, you know, I, I'm one of those people in your last blogs, that, that word that people hate, eclectic. You know, it's like it's like I have a big pagan basket, and if I like that fruit, I'm throwing it in. If I don't like it, I'm leaving it out. And um, some of the stuff, like particularly, you know, old school, like Raymond Buckland stuff. Holy crap! I just can't follow that many directions. You know, unless I'm reading from a book, and if I'm reading from a book, I'm gonna forget what I'm doing. It's not gonna work. I won't have the energy. And in one of your workshops, you said, you know, do it, do it a different way then, and like. Wow, that can happen. I won't be like cheating or falling short. So, you know, you, um, in fact, after that workshop down in the, the shop room, I bought a little tiny goddess figure and she's holding a, a um, crystal over her head, a 
prism, and I bought that specifically so I would remember what you said in that workshop, that I don't have to get my validation um, from following words exactly as they are, doing it exactly as everyone else. It, it, it feels more alive when I do it this way or that way, but um, you have inspired me over and over and over. You know, I haven't always told you that, but um, amid all of your jokes and funny slides, uh, you say some really important things, and you say it in a way that um, it has some humor and it has some softness to it, and it's not so serious and intimidating as some in the community can be because they really, really, really take themselves seriously. So um, I'm rambling around about way of saying thank you. <laughs> Again, you are now my favorite guest I've ever had on the show. It's, it's always great to hear great things about me. doesn't usually happen. Usually we talk about guests on the show and not about me. So this is really nice. You know, and usually guest on something that we, you know, talk about patios or a book or whatever, you know. <laughs> to me, my fav- the favorite things I've ever done are always workshops. That's what I like doing. I write books so I can do more workshops. This year in the middle <laughs> of COVID, it's been hard workshops because yeah. I don't get to travel or whatever. How is you know, that? No, go ahead. That is something I re- see. You don't realize how often I read your, your stuff. But you wrote something recently. I think it was for Raise the Horns or Papios, but how you actually cried because you looked at your ritual space and longed for that connection that you had and it really it got me you know in the heart because I I feel that in a a whole variety of things and I think in the early days of this we thought oh we'll just stick it out we'll get through it but now as we're drawing months into this it's really sinking in you know and I I've had I had a weak spot the other morning where it's like I just I just feel like I want to give up I mean where does this go? What's the trajectory for all this shit? You know, because on top of COVID, here where I live, the whole world was burning down. And um, it, it's like, wow, there's no end game for this. It's just like keep going and going and going in the dark, you know. And I really, um, that resonated with me about being secure enough in yourself to admit that, yeah, I hurt, and yeah, I long for people, and yeah, I miss things, and yes, I have tenderness. I just feel like sometimes for men, that's a hard thing to do, and for you, you just naturally do it. I can continue praising you for hours. We can go on this way forever. (laughs) You know, we are, I think people overlook that we're six months in to COVID, you know, and originally... When the shutdowns when the shutdowns happened, it was for two weeks. I mean, I yeah. remember those signs in my downtown. You know, we have to close. We'll be open in two weeks. And you know, now it's been six months, and it takes toll on people. That six months is a long time. I mean, we're looking at half of a year. And depending on how you feel about it, I think every day during COVID feels twice as long as a normal day. And it's it's been a long six months, and sometimes it just catches up with you, and it it just kind of crashes down on you. And for me, it was when my coven did our first sort of online ritual, because you know you're right. We thought that it would be over. We thought we'd be getting back to normal, 
after a certain period of time, and that just wasn't the case at all. Has you're not somebody who works in covens and in groups. I don't think I could be wrong, well, but I'm pretty. I have a tarot uh, group that I have, but I don't really do magic or ritual in group. I like participating when it's there, but um, I don't live in a place where there are other pagans. <laughs> I am the pagan community here, as far as I can tell. And um, I know people say, well, you could drive down to this group, you know, and, and go in this group two hours away. But I'm thinking, I know me and it's not realistic. I might do it once or twice, and then I'll say it's too far to drive. It's just too long, you know? And so I had to kind of carve it out on my own. Um, and one thing I found very early on, and I'm really sad it doesn't exist anymore, but there is a an amazing witch and author named um, Victoria Danan, and she had an online school called Seasons in Avalon. And, and early on, that was what I found, Googling, trying to find something. And it was a three-year course, and she made it really clear. You can finish this course, and you're not going to have a degree, and you're not going to be this or that. You're just going to learn what you learn, and you'll get out of it what you put into it. It was pretty straightforward. But I got a lot of my – that shaped me a little. But, no, I don't have a coven around here. It's kind of sad. And, and you know, I even suggested to a couple friends quietly – how about we have a coven like through Zoom because we're all stuck here, you know, a couple that I thought might be open to it. Well, one was open and the other one, when I said, okay, well, it's kind of about this. She just went peace out. It was too much for her. I mean, <laughs> it's not a, I mean, all I was talking, all I said was ritual, but nope, I'm done. So it's really interesting trying to defang what we do as pagans with, non-pagans because um, especially in a community where all of that's just literally invisible. I, I remember um, many years back, like not, not right about the time I met you. And I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to try this gently with people I know. I'm just going let, to say, let's have a goddess party. And I'm <laughs> thinking, I'm thinking, we'll just talk about goddesses. That's super duper safe. That's like one step above talking about bunnies and um we and i said we'll do it on the summer solstice and we'll have a goddess ritual and swear to goddess one of the ladies looked at me with big wide eyes and said we're not going to sacrifice anything are we i'm like no no and it, it all just kind of fizzled and it didn't work and i was really early early on on my path so um, I was just trying to wing it but it it just seems like that kind of stuff doesn't sprout in this area uh, so in my long 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 rambling answer to your simple <laughs> question I'm, I'm a solitary yes <laughs> you're someone who keeps up with the news I mean as I said at the beginning you you're a journalist by trade and profession and yeah. I, you know, you lived through the satanic panic in the 80s and the early 90s, and oh, yeah. it's something that a lot of people don't talk about anymore or even realize that's happened. Have you been up on the QAnon child trafficking stories? Because I feel like we're getting close to satanic panic again. This idea that there's a satanic cabal 
that is out there trafficking in children, sex trafficking children. And there are people I know in our community that I see getting caught up in this because it feels like you're doing something good. Save the children. Where are the children? You know, but it's a part of this new QAnon conspiracy nonsense. Have you seen that? Have you noticed any of that? I've, I've loosely followed it, and I have heard that issue about it resurrecting satanic panic again. In fact, did I read that on one of your blogs <laughs> or on videos? I, I don't know, but I have read about that. Um, QAnon, it's just like mass hysteria. Like, like the only way I can explain it is um, I, I use my husband's theory. His theory is that too many people grew up chewing on, on lead paint and they're lead poisoned because their, their brains aren't functioning correctly. I don't even know how to explain that. I mean, there was at one point, I think what it is is a war on liberalism. And I think it's fueled by our uh, orange shit given in the White House. He, he validates them by not criticizing them. Silence they, can they, be validating when you're, when you're he the president. He them sometimes. I mean, there's been a couple of occasions where he's given nod and winks. And I'm not sure he's smart enough really to know what he's doing but anybody who praises him is on his side, no matter oh, yeah. how. Yeah. He's such a simple character. I mean, truly intellectually simple. But the QAnon people, I mean, I think it's really hard to even know how to explain that. It's like they, they make up a whole lot of fantasies in their heads and their communities and work each other up into a froth. And there's very little fact in there, but Talking facts to to maggots, which is my word for Trumpsters, you know, M-A-G-A, little T-S, but uh, talking facts to these people, it, it's like teaching algebra to cats. They just don't get it. It's like they believe what they believe, and they aren't interested in your fake news. They aren't interested in science. This is how it is, and President Trump endorses it, so it must be so. But the, the satanic panic that you asked about, I, I think I read somewhere that they're expanding that to all liberals are satanic and evil. And um, the whole satanic thing, it's like, I tell, I tell this sometimes to the right wing and some Christian friends, but when I say, you realize that Satan came out of the Christian Bible, right? It's not, it's not really part of our gig. It, 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 he's, he's your deity And when I call him a deity You know that always just sends them into a spasm But um, <laughs> Yeah the satanic panic You know we when I Back in the 70s we had all those movies About the time of the exorcist So many movies about the devil was doing this The devil was doing that And um, I remember one called Something Evil where, you know, there's glowing eyes in the house, all these classic things. And I, I don't know why in this world of COVID and climate change, we need one more thing to be afraid of. You know, I mean, this fear of liberals, like, what are you afraid of? Like, they're going to, like, come to your house and, and read poetry to you or take out the Atlantic Monthly and, and talk about an article. It's like the violence isn't coming from the left, it's coming from the right. They and, made and, me drink espresso. What am I to do? Yeah, right. You know what? What worries me the most, though, is that I see some of these things now on the fringes of the left. 
you know, it started with anti-vax on the left, on the fringe of the far, far left. And now I've seen some of these kind of QAnon adjacent conspiracies in that same place. And I think that, you know, this particular time in our country, in our world, and our lifetimes has made people scared because it's something that they can't control. And conspiracy theories, if you buy them, they give you kind of the illusion of control to some degree. You can't control a virus, but you think you can control, you know, Satanists in your neighborhood. Yeah, and everything that you don't like is Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how far are we from, you know, the the uh, the fabled burning times really i mean how long i i seriously wonder this sometimes like if if trump wins or if he loses are these QAnon folks and these militia folks are they just going to come like out and start going after liberals or democrats or you know the fact that i've even wondered that is a change because five years ago i would never have thought about that but um, I think on the far left, you also have a valid point. There's a there's a mistrust of science, and you know we can blame Jenny McCarthy, who's such a, a, a you know microbiologist. model, of course, of course, right. she's an expert she on things. Well, model. Yeah, and yeah, you know, it's really hard. I've gotten in a lot of arguments with people. In fact, one time at a Green Fairy party, and that argument did finally go so badly that, that I didn't talk to that person anymore. But it's like, I, I can't do the cray-cray. It's just, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> you're just nuts. I know, but, I know that you were worried that we would not have enough things to talk about coming into this. And you were kind of nervous what we would talk about. We've been talking for 40 minutes, and we haven't even gotten to your book. So I think we did just fine. I mean, I wasn't worried about it. I'm the easiest person in the world to talk to. You, you know, are. That's why I'm not terrible at this, so to speak. So no, I want to talk about... I want to talk about... As you are at your workshops and your books, you're just... You just dive right in there and just be Jason, and it works. So, you know, I, yes, get, I, get, I get to have interesting conversations with people that I like and drink whiskey. I mean, what more is there to do in life? You know, this is this is what I would be doing normally, except at a bar, and I can't go to the bar now. So, I mean, I might <laughs> right. as well have resumed podcasting, you know. So, your book came out, what, two months ago, a month ago? It came out the in Ellen- June. Yeah, the elements of horse spirit, the magical bond between humans and horses. I thought it was strange that Weiser released a similar book at exactly the right time. Uh, maybe this is saying that yeah, this is that's, that's a little interesting, isn't it? Someday when we're at a real bar, you and I will talk about that. I won't. I won't go into that topic on the record, but there's a story yeah. there. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna no, I'm not gonna like direct any criticisms at anybody. I just thought it was kind of strange though, you know. That you yeah. know, at the same time. So you I know you've edited anthologies before, but is this this is your first book, right? Right. This is the first real book. Um, from yeah. beginning to end with editors and publishers and it's like, you know, I'm Pinocchio now, I'm a real boy. Yeah. Well, I mean it it does feel different. I mean I self published books. 
it didn't feel like I was a real author self-publishing a book. When my first Llewellyn book came out, it was a huge deal, right? I mean, you just – I wanted to sleep with it under my pillow. I might <laughs> yeah. have – Ari didn't cool. know. Yeah. It was so – you know what the big moments are? Remember the day when I got to go to the pizza party at Pantheon? <laughs> and I got to sit next to Lon Milo Duquette and over on Zell, and I'm like, holy crap. I'm for those that don't know, on Sunday nights, formerly at Pantheacon, this festival that existed once long, long ago in the days when we could touch other people, Llewellyn was always there with her own suite, and Sunday night was the Llewellyn author pizza party. And it was always, you know, you couldn't go in unless you were an author. Like, you couldn't even invite your friends if right. you were an author. You could invite your partner. That was pretty much it. And, you know, it's kind of a big deal. And then you're in that room and you are sitting with Milo Duquette and you're sitting with Oberon Zell, it's somebody that new name, but Deborah Blake, you know, anyone who's there, Christopher Penzak, you know, all these like famous people that people I've that never I, thought that I should be around. Well, yeah, I went to their workshops and read their books and I was like, wow, I'm in here. And it was the first time I saw the cover of my book was in the suite and I'm like so this is really happening like you didn't read all this and go oh hell no <laughs> take your book and hit the road I mean I, I have I don't know about you but I have fear when I finish that I might think it's great but somebody else might go no thumbs down you know so I'm wrapping up the second book right about now and I'm like in the throes of fear what if they hate it what if they don't like it what if what if the first one was a fluke, you know? And and I, I remember another thing, another thing you helped me with in this first time process was you told me that you know when you get you get the book manuscript back the first time and you have ten pages of single space edits to make, and I remember yeah. you, you saying something like, "Yeah, every time I get that, it makes me cry," and I went, "Oh, thank <laughs> God," but. The really amazing part of that experience, though, is that I worked with Heather on this process, who just is like, I'm over the moon about Heather. And I also worked with Marjorie and Jake a little bit, but Heather was the main one. For those that don't know, Heather Green was formerly the editor of The Wild Hunt, and now she's one of the acquisitions editors at Llewellyn. I I feel like I have to tell people who these people are that we know by first name. Yeah, so what was amazing about her, now bear in mind, I was an editor for 26 years, you know, and I put this book together, and there were little spots that my stomach got the nigglies that I don't know why this is wrong, but it's just wrong, but I'm going to finish this. It's well written, but it's wrong, and Heather just would zero in on those. This part needs to go there. That part needs to go here. Cut this out and move it there. And the first time experience was sort of like, ta-da, I built you a Victorian house. And they went, okay, that's really special, but we want the porch on the second floor and the living room where the bathroom is. And can you put in a pond and a shrubbery? And um, also, we don't like the garage. Tear that out, shrubbery. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, I, I followed along with it. What I committed to this first time is whatever they ask me to do, I'm going to do it because I have trouble being argumentative when it comes to writing. <laughs> I'm doing it the way 
they're asking me to do. This is I'm going to learn from this. And yeah, a lot of stuff got cut, but editor, I mean Heather was so perceptive. Like in, in there were particular problems, and she just jumped on them and said, "There's the problem." And I went, "Wow, that's genius." And and the big mistake I made the first time is I never asked about word length. And so I just figured if you wrote a whole lot of words, they would just make bigger books, just use bigger paper. <laughs> Imagine my surprise when I wrote 148,000 words. And she says, yeah, this is all really great, but it needs to be 110. Oh, really? So a lot of really cool stuff um, got cut for length. But it was just a total learning experience. But, you know, so second time I'm keeping track of my word count a little better <laughs> I I have a different editor I get a, I get away with 120,000 word books and but I mean the average Llewellyn book is maybe 60,000 words though I mean it's a yeah. 100,000 word Llewellyn book is a very big book and I wow. think most people are aware of that you know like if you look if you look through them and it's because oftentimes you can say whatever you need to say in 60,000 words. But apparently you and I are not like that. Because <laughs> this is. This is a long book. So I will admit that I am not a horse person. Uh, what <laughs> attracts you to horses? What, you know, when did you become a horse person? Because I know oh. other horse people. And you, you all really, like, horse person is a good thing to say because it's <laughs> Because it really is something that kind of, I don't want to say dominates, but it's like a really big part of your lives. Well, it's like that Lady Gaga song, I was born this way. I think the first words that ever came out of my mouth were, I want a pony. Um, (laughs) I don't know what it is about horses. Um, I have always had this spiritual connection to horses, even before I ever touched one. I... um, they're just, they're different. They're like, um, I can feel a horse. I mean, I feel dogs and cats and animals too, but horses are so much more mystical than people realize. Because when people think of horses, they think of them pawing and rearing and whinnying and bucking and galloping and all these really big things. What they don't realize is that horses communicate so subtly and so quietly and so efficiently Um you can do energy work with a horse. And I have a story in my book. um, When I went out to see the wild Mustangs up in Nevada, of watching a mare and stallion communicate about whether or not the stallion was going to put the two-year-old son in with the bachelor group. And the mother horse said, nope, not today. And the stallion kind of went, oh, okay, and walked the colt back. And the guide that was with me, the whole exchange but I literally watched this happen the mare coming out of the herd and she picked her head up and set her ears on him and he turned and looked at her and he went all right mama says no you know and the communication is so subtle and and what really got me thinking along these lines is I had a long gap without horses like 35 year gap and fell back into it by accident just wasn't what I was planning to do. And the universe decided, no, this is what you're doing. But in that span of time, I grew up with the the world of make the horse do what you want. And 
the world has since become a world of natural horsemanship where you interact with the horse as a sentient creature and communicate with it. So I'm out at this barn and I'm watching my friend who's an expert horse person. And she says, yeah, we're going to lunge this horse. Lunging means go in a circle, usually on a rope. She says, yeah, we're going to lunge this horse in a round pen without the rope. And I'm going to communicate with it just using energy. And I'm like, what? What? What are you smoking? You're going to communicate with energy? <laughs> and I sat there watching as she did it. And she stood in the middle and she did subtle things like moving her stomach muscles, leaning a certain way, looking a certain way. And this horse read her movements and did what she wanted. And I went, well, isn't this just a lot like magic? You, you set an intention, you implement it doing an action, and then you wait for it to manifest. And then I went, where is all the stuff about magical work with horses? Even though I w- was not allowed to use that word much. Right. <laughs> no ritual, no magic. We have to stick to this other lane. But they are magical. I mean, you know, and, and in doing the book, I kept exploring more and more like, you know, they have chakras. They have um, energy fields. Um, I I read this one book by a Native American writer, Gowani Ponyboy, that talked all about energy work with horses and um, went out in the arena and tried it with my old guy one day, not believing it would work. And damn if it didn't work. So in writing the book and doing research, it just opened me way up to this whole other world that horses exist in. And um, they're just, when you look in a horse's eyes, there's something there. Like, I don't know if you've ever been up close at an aquarium and looked into a whale's eyes. Um, It's kind of the same. There's just like this vibration of, I see you from the whale and horses do the same thing. They, they see you. And um, there's a whole lot of horse books written from the angle of right wing Christian cowboys, not a lot coming from the left. So I saw a gap there. I saw a lot of um, other kind of spirit animals getting a lot of play in um, the pagan world, and I had gone to some some horse workshops, and at kind of feeling unsatisfied, like like people talking about horse goddesses or something, but not understanding horses. So, um, and the other thing is, I have this whole little system in my head. It's in the book of when I need to get things done, of calling upon horse spirit in its various facets. A certain horse does a certain job. I need to do this job. I need that horse. You know, I set that in my mind and I lean on this all the time. So I'm thinking, even if you can't afford to have a horse, you can, you can have a whole stable of horses in your head and still not be crazy. <laughs> but um, it's sort of like when you, like you want to feel strong. So maybe you think of your favorite superhero I think of that superhero, I'm going to get in there and do things. Well, for me, my superheroes are horses, certain types of horses. So this is why I got up to 148,000 words. I could talk about horses for like days. So, so what else would you like to know about horses? What, what does someone who doesn't have a horse that they can go see 
regularly get out of this book. I mean, this book isn't just for people who own a horse or work with horses. This is for everybody. What does somebody who doesn't have like a relationship with a specific horse get out of this book? Well, the bulk of the book is about horses as mystical, metaphysical creatures and how horse spirit can help you get shit done. That's what's different about a horse as a spirit animal versus another uh, another kind of spirit animal. And you might be like, well, I want hummingbird because I want to feel light and airy, or I want lion because I want to feel strong. But with horses, it's I need to get this done. Throughout human history, um, horses have had the single most largest impact on human culture than any other animal, more than dogs, more than anything. They moved the land. They carried us into battle. They plowed the earth. So what they did for human culture, they can do for you psychologically, if you can key into that. So you learn about all that. You learn, like, how do I attract this elemental horse? You know, they, they are, in my mind, organized with the, the four elements and spirit. So there's five. But you know, how do I set up an altar? Let's say I I want to um, I want to master dance or something something long. So I'm going to go with the water horse. This slow moving practice makes perfect. Keep keep your eye on your moment. Keep doing it. You'll get there. But have patience. Practice perfection. So you might create an altar to attract that water horse. And you might have classic water horse elements. I mean, I'm sorry, water elements, just the typical ones. And then you might also bring in specific water horse imagery. Like, so my imagery for a water horse is the dressage horse that you see, like the Lipizzan stallions and Olympic mm-hmm. competition, the ones that just seem to be doing ballet with the rider sitting there almost entirely still. And it takes years and years and years of practice. So, you know, not everything in life is accomplished overnight. So maybe you want to earn a degree or um, you have a long-term goal that like, you're just going to have to suck up and take the time it takes to get there. So the imagery of that horse um, can help you remember, Oh, it's about the practice. I mean, the Lipizzan stallions go through eight years of training before they ever perform of just subtle, subtle movement. So, so that's one way a non-horse person can have horses in their life. The other way is um, the focus of this book is more on companion horses than it is riding horses. So a companion horse is, you know, the world's biggest therapy animal. And um, it, was, it was really transformative to me to experience my horse more as a, a companion animal than anything else because he's old and I'm old and we both trip over air and we're better when we're both on the ground. But I spent time with that horse and worked out a lot of shit that was happening in my life. And because you have to be fully present with a horse, you don't have the luxury of looking away or being distracted because you could get killed. It it could happen. (laughs) So you have to always have an eye on that horse and it forces you to really learn to be present. I'm in this moment. I'm aware of the sounds around me because anything can scare a horse. Um, Something people don't understand about horses is they're just big, huge prey animals. They think they're these big prancing stallions, but no, they're a lot like rabbits. 
a horse's only job in the wild is to not get eaten. So they are constantly scanning the environment for anything that might be a predator. Anything a horse doesn't recognize could be a predator, a bag blowing by, anything. So when you have a horse, you have to be aware of what's moving in the environment so your horse doesn't spook and drag you along like a sack of potatoes. And um, it finally sunk in what be here now means. Oh, my mind is clear. I'm experiencing my senses. I'm not thinking about other things or planning or running the hamster wheel in my head. I'm here and present. The other thing about horses is they are actually therapeutic. There's a whole industry of equine therapy. And, And horses are effective with people where therapists aren't. In particular, autistic uh, kids, juvenile delinquency, um, the prison reform system is huge where they, they take these, um, if, if you qualify to be in the program, take wild mustangs and put them together with prisoners and rehabilitate both the horse and the prisoner at the same time. Because, you know, if you can imagine, say, there's a guy in prison that's got an anger management problem. And he has bullied his way through life by hurting and intimidating other people. Well, just give him a 1,500-pound horse to think he can bully and see how that works for him. You know, you have to learn a new skill because ultimately, you know, the horse is, is stronger than you. So you have to have a little finesse. So companion animals, even if you don't own a horse, you can volunteer in these therapy programs. Um, a lot of the big stables would love if somebody came in and, and, you know, wanted to just like brush the horses or clean the tack. You can be around them, <clears throat> get some exposure, and then decide for yourself, you know, is it possible for me to own a horse? Now, before all this COVID and stuff happened and the economic crash and everything, there are ways to own horses when you think it's not possible. You can you can co-own with people. You can lease them. You can take lessons. I mean, there's a, a lot of ways to be exposed to horses. And I think one of the things that discourages people is they say, well, I'm afraid of them. And when I'm around them, they get all excited. Well, because they are, they are those watchers, always watching for predators, scanning the environment, horses watch people. And if the person becomes upset, then the horse says, okay, I need to be upset too. The little two-legged predator is upset. I better prepare to run. So then the horse gets more upset. The person gets more afraid. The horse gets more upset, and then disaster happens. And so they really train you to um, get a grip on things. Now, a great example of this, fire evacuations. Um, I just did another one with my horse. Right. Um, a horse's instinct in a fire is to run and get the hell out of there so for the horse to decide follow you through smoke and flames and walk into this metal can on wheels even though its instincts are telling it to flee that's that's a big deal for a horse you know so they're so sensitive and so reflective of human emotion and that's one of the reasons they work in therapy that you know, you get people. You get people that are just emotionally broken, and they don't want to talk to people. But communicating with a horse works. <clears throat> so um, there's all kinds of ways to get involved with horses, and 
in the book, I make the point, you don't ever have to. There is a section that is about working physically with real horses, but a lot of the book is, is focused on more on the metaphysical world of horses. So there you I go. Love, I love your, I love your love for the topic and your, you know, excitement and enthusiasm. So the show's about an hour, we're almost out of time. There's one question I have to ask because I'm really jealous. How did you get Silver Ravenwolf to blurb your book? Because <laughs> we're Instagram buddies. <laughs> that was it, huh? huh. Uh, you know, I have to say, out of just dumb beginner's luck, we have been Instagram friends. I I don't know how or why she followed me back. Because I'm, you know, in the pagan world, I'm kind of a nobody. I'm just little old me. And um, I followed her on Twitter. One of the first books I ever read was by Silver. And, you know, you've mentioned this before. There was a point in time where it was really cool to put Silver down and say she was just all, you know, BS and whatnot. But you know what? To me, she was welcoming. To me, she was approachable. And you can do this. And you can have this in your life. And I went, yeah, you guys all just kind of suck, really. And so I ignored that. And so... What she told me, and I hope I'm not, like, divulging secrets. I sure hope not. But I just randomly approached her. Would you do this? And explained, you know, this. I've, I've just always loved your books, and I admire you, and your energy is like mine. And she replied she'd be glad to, and she said, I've always felt like I know you. And I said, you've just told me, like, the most amazing thing I have ever heard coming from you. So... You know, I, I'm super respectful, and I don't, like, send her flurries of messages and whatnot, but I don't know how to explain it, Jason. It, it's our, you know how you meet people sometimes, and you just click? <coughs> Excuse me. It's still smoky up here. But she just got a yes feeling, and I was dumb and naive enough to ask, so that's how it happened. Well, I feel like we're in the middle of like a silver raven wolf, like ravenos. Like I can't. I was trying to think of like a cool way to like merge raven wolf and renaissance, and I just fucked that up pretty hard. That's what happens during the show, <laughs> towards the end when the whiskey gets to the brain. Because, but I mean, it feels like there was a beginning in about you know 1998, 1999. It was really fashionable to kind of like we talked about at the beginning of the show to rip yeah. on silver. Ravenwolf, and now people are writing books and admitting her influence and, you know, on those books and what she meant to them. You know, to me, to write a silver broomstick is still one of the best books I've ever read and most influential. It was more influential than Cunningham or, or Buckland or a lot of the other sort of Those were my first three. Yeah. Yeah, I, Buckland was mine. I didn't read Wicca, a guide for the solitary practitioner, until later. I picked up Living Wicca because it was what was at the bookstore, which was the sequel to yeah. Wicca, a guide for the solitary practitioner. So I was a little late. I've read it many times now for reasons both good and bad. <laughs> yeah, so. I remember you were going to be writing a critique, and I went, oh, don't tear it up too much. I haven't read your critique yet, but. I want to jump back to Silver Ravenwolf for just a second. For it's, sure. that tall, it's that tallest daisy in the field thing again that we talked about. She and was. this is what this is what I respect about her so much is um, 
She caught all this slack. I'm sure she heard it. She never missed a beat. She just kept doing what she does, and she put her books out, and she didn't alter them to make them more popular or to satisfy other people's needs. She stayed true and genuine to herself all the time. I have so much respect for that, and I think that's what you also have. You didn't you didn't change your yourself to adapt to this. I think I think the the lesson to be learned in here is to not be buffeted about by you know the winds of opinion and and be firm in yourself. And to me as a pagan, as a solitary witch, that is everything. Like, no, I need to know in my gut that I'm solid. And she's just such a role model in that way. And like I, one of my favorite books she has now is Hedge Witch. It's kind of a workbook. Mm-hmm. And what I really liked about that book is she approached all these topics that are familiar to me in an entirely different way. Like I know you come into this topic through the front door. Well, look what happens if we go into the side door. And all the while, so welcoming. I mean, you know, we have people in our community that want to be the badass and I'll screw you up and don't fuck with me. I'm a witch and I can hit blah, 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 blah. And I think I'm kind of at the point of life where I'm over it. <clears throat> and I um, had a long talk with Mary Greer not so long ago. Um, and we were talking about the books and she asked me what inspired me. And I said, I really started stopping to think about who I look up to and all the people I look up to are people that if you passed them on the street would just look like some regular old grandma, you know, and it's like Margot Adler and Selena Fox and Glenn Turner and um, Maka Nightmare and all these people that haven't compromised themselves and are just regular old people. They don't, they don't seek to like scare everybody on the sidewalk and you're kind of this way too. You're just Jason all the time. You're not, you're not into that. Oh, watch me impress you. Watch how powerful I am. You know, and I know there's that factor there, but you hit a point in life where scaring and intimidating other people isn't as attractive as being genuine, reinforcing other people. It's like with opinion. When I would see other people that they would just take off and write, it gave me so much satisfaction and I, I just started analyzing. One, one thing about the journalism world and being a columnist is it was turning me into a very bitter, bitchy person. I mean, you know, I it's not my nature to be that combative, but being a columnist, um, this kitty's got claws. And I started wondering if, if that's really where, what energy I wanted from life. And I don't know, it's just, it's just at this point, I have an appreciation for no bullshit genuine people that pour their heart into things and they want to help and uplift others, not impress them with all of their gooey, gooey, wonderful magicness. You know what I mean? I mean, silver to me is just totally epitome of that. And I don't know. You got to follow her on Instagram. She has great posts. And sometimes I, I do. she puts her chat sometimes occasionally with audio. I remember the mm-hmm. first time her voice and I got chills. It's like, wow. I she, she friended me on Facebook and I ran around my house like I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Like, oh my god, oh my god. 
My wife's like, what, I, Jason? I'm like, Ari, oh my God, Silver Ravenwolf sent me a friend request. You know, it's just, it was a big deal. Because one of the things I like about the art community is these people that you grew up, I don't want to say that, like, we worship them or there's a complete celebrity culture, because it's not, but these are the people that had a huge influence in your life because most of us started out as solitaries. And when you can interact with them one-on-one, that's a big deal because you just really can't do that in most places. Like if you're a Catholic, you don't get to interact with a Pope, but you know, no. you can be a witch and you can interact with Silver Ravenwolf or Ray Buckland before he passed or, or Paul Hewson today has a Facebook page. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, that means a lot to people. This has been what? really fun. I've, huh? We're we're at we're at the end of the show. Oh, yeah. really, I know <laughs> you were all worried that we wouldn't have shit to talk about. I knew that we'd have shit to talk about because I'm easy to talk to, and I know that you can talk. This was this was really fun. I mean, the first thirty minutes were all about me. It was especially fun for me. I hope it was fun for you. No, oh, this was this was lovely. It was very affirming and. Um, I always find talking with you validating because as I said, you um, are just genuinely you and um, no bullshit. That's another thing about horses. Horses are not impressed with your shit. So I'm channeling no, a little spirit there. As a person, sometimes I have been impressed with the shit of horses because, you know, you <laughs> walk by and other things. Oh, I'm yeah. so happy for you with the book and your success and that you got to take the step. I mean, it just, it, it makes me really happy when I see my friends do well and get these opportunities. I think it's great. We forgot to mention an important thing. Which the is? Book, the book only exists because of you specifically, because I had given up and you told me, no, you're misunderstanding. Try again, try again. That was the pivot point in the whole process. I would not have tried again if you hadn't told me that. So thank you. I feel like I'm like have to sing a montage song now though or something. <laughs> Don't give up. Never, never give up. Keep trying. Do what you yeah. want to do. You gotta be careful because if you actually sing a real song, then you have to pay for the rights. Oh, no. we, we we can't afford that and continue to pay for my whiskey. If people want to know more about you, where can they follow you online? I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I also have a website that I dust the cobwebs off of every couple of months. I'm so absorbed in the second book, I've been really remiss in updating anything. Facebook, social media is the easiest. Um, I'm I'm pretty findable there. (laughs) I, I like first book it already had forthcoming books by deborah garden variety pagan the art of going feral which That's i assume summer. will be out probably next summer yeah i have to be done by october 1st and i hadn't planned on getting hit with shoulder surgery surgery a pandemic uh the world burning down you know in the midst of this it's been one stumble after another but it's kind of like the shit hit the fan now because it's due october 1st but yeah, I, I was a little surprised at that too. I'm I'm so humbled of the faith that Heather and Llewellyn placed in me. It's just it's kind of overwhelming when you're still somebody that even after 26 years, I have the jitters of 
I'm not good enough. It's not good enough. She's going to hate it. I should, I should just go hide in the corner because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And it was really something to get that thumbs up. When I wrote my first, when I wrote my first book, the forthcoming book said, hopefully nothing else. I think that's what it said. <laughs> little did they know, little did they know that they would publish like 10 of my freaking books. Deborah, this has been really fun. I hope that you'll come back again because I feel Anytime. like we did not talk about your book enough. And <laughs> that's what happens on the show because we just talk about shit. So this Deborah D'Angelo, the book is called The Elements of Horse Spirit, The Magical Bond Between Humans and Horses. It's endorsed by Silver Ravenwolf, which impresses both of us. It's a really great book. <laughs> we hope that you pick it up. Deborah's been a really great guest. Next week, I'm going to have Martha Kirby Capo, which none of you have probably ever heard of, but she manages the Agora at Pathias Pagan and has a column there called the Corner Crone. And the Agora is a huge deal at Pathios Pagan because it's one of our most read blogs and everybody knows that I run Pathias Pagan. And then the next week, uh, so two weeks from tonight, and as I you know record this, it's September 3rd, Nasha Lightfoot is my guest who's the author of Good Juju, and I'm super excited to have her on the show, too. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Deborah for being here. Um, This was really great, and the shows always run long because my guests are fucking great. And I hope (laughs) everybody stays safe, and we'll see you next time. This has been Witches, Whiskey, and Wit, and there's been a lot of wit. There's been a lot of whiskey at this point. So I will bid you all Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.